Welcome to the November episode of International Voices. I am your host and moderator, Udo Fluck, and I have the great pleasure to oversee the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula. To listen to previous episodes, please visit artsmissoula.org, click on Global and Cultural Affairs, and visit radio and podcasts. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and The Trail, 1033. My guest this month is Miss Tammy Sandu, the British Deputy Council General of the British Consulate in San Francisco. She joined the consulate early this year from the UK. As Deputy Council General, she co-leads the Consulate General in San Francisco of more than 30 people covering UK-US relations across the Pacific Northwest, which includes Northern California, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, Alaska, and Montana. The Consulate General in San Francisco and the UK government office in Seattle cover a broad range of political and policy work, including climate, trade, tech, as well as providing support to British nationals and British companies in the Pacific Northwest. Before moving to San Francisco, Tammy worked in international human resources. She was the head of Second Men's and the head of international HR strategy and EU exit for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. Tammy also worked on the Foreign and Commonwealth Office's COVID response. She was born in Leicester in the United Kingdom, completed a bachelor's with honors in English literature at the University of Warwick, and was awarded a Master of Science degree in International Public Policy from the University College London. She joined the Foreign and Commonwealth Office in 2005. Ms. Sandu is a member of the Order of the British Empire. In 2020, she was elected chair of the Foreign and Commonwealth's Office, Black, Asian, and Minority Ethnic Committee, and later served as co-chair of the merged Foreign, Commonwealth, and Development Office's Race and Ethnicity Network. She continues to work on racial equality both within the Foreign, Commonwealth, and Development Office and through her work in San Francisco. She has also completed diplomatic postings in Morocco, Brussels, Iraq, Kenya, and India. It is a pleasure to have her as a guest on this November episode of International Voices. What is the British government's mission in the US and in Montana in particular? Udo, thanks. Thank you for the question. Um, um, let me let me take the two two parts of that question uh, in turn. So, so the British government's mission in the US, like like any bilateral relationship, so the relationship between one country or another, uh, is here to do to do a range of things. Um, you hear a lot about the special relationship between between the UK and the US, and that 
is 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 very much what we are here to cultivate uh, and to to deepen and that is through through various things that is uh, uh on on the economy i would say so building uh, both economies mutually um that is on uh, people in particular so uh you know one of our our biggest um uh pre covid or and hopefully now with the with the uh, travel corridor reopening people to people links and tourism is is a, is a massive part of that um but also um we are here predominantly to work together on some of the uh world's biggest challenges um so i think it won't be uh, any surprise to your listeners that some of the biggest challenges that we face right now whether that is covid uh whether that is climate change uh in particular those are the two things i think that are very much on people's minds at the moment uh those are things that nation states cannot do alone uh and and the us and the uk um are a fundamental i think part in setting the standard across the globe and setting the level of ambition across the globe on lots of on lots of these issues so i would say that 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 certainly forms the um the majority of what we do but there are obviously other other elements um the cultural links which will hopefully come on to particularly uh given arts mazula's focus um but in look in montana in particular um maybe I'll talk a little bit about that so i um am based uh, in the consulate in san francisco uh and it, it might seem strange that i'm talking to you from san francisco talking about montana but we cover from here the whole of the pacific northwest uh montana included um and we we here really to work on on a range of issues and to really um have a close partnership across a range of issues so covid recovery is really one of the main parts so how we build our economies back after the pandemic and i know that montana has uh its comeback plan uh so similar to that so how do we how do we work together to to mutually recover uh our economies but also a whole range of other shared interests um including on agriculture how we support small businesses the food and drink sector the tech sector i know that uh, montana is particularly proud of rightly proud of uh it's it's beef um and you know and and so um the the trade in agriculture is 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 particularly important um but one of the other things which i mentioned in relation to the uk and the us but i think the uk brits in montana in particular of course is tourism um so thinking about uh, yellowstone and the glacier national park you know we get a lot of traffic um and so um you know making sure that 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 brits um a come here but also um really really engage with montana when they are here is all is all part of what we're here to do and just to elaborate on that a little bit um the the region the pacific northwest region um includes montana but also wyoming idaho oregon washington northern california and alaska is that correct correct great um thank you i um i would like to to move a little bit towards a um a bigger issue and then come back to montana in a little while um the past three podcasts focused on cultures and the environment and some of our focus today connects well to that topic um and and gives 
us a chance to continue to think about this. Contemporary climate change includes both global warming caused by humans and its impact on Earth's weather patterns. There have been previous periods of climate change, but the current change uh, and changes are more rapid than any known events in Earth's history. Climate change has been called the defining challenge of our time. The United Nations Climate Conference, the 26th session of the Conference of the Parties, um, started officially yesterday and will continue through November 12th in Glasgow. Can you tell me a little bit more about the conference and the UK's involvement? Yeah, of course. I mean, it is. I think it's very serendipitous that we're we're having this conversation uh, this week, in particular, uh, when global leaders are coming together to really um, deliver for the biggest kind of global challenge of our time. There's there's really no other way of, of putting it. Um, so to give a bit of context first, so in 2015, global leaders met in Paris. Um, um, so they agreed what was called the Paris Agreement, where they agreed to limit global warming uh, to under two degrees, actually to under one and a half degrees. Um, and so this conference in Glasgow is um, to make sure or to try and uh, set a high level of ambition across the globe to ensure we limit global warming under under that um, uh, temperature. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Um, climate action is 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 urgent. Um, I don't think anybody can can deny that. And really, this conference is about coming together uh, to solve um, really one of the world's um, biggest problems. It's a massive effort of global diplomacy that's happening this week, um, and we have to deliver at Glasgow. I think. You know, we all want the same thing. I think every every single nation state coming to Glasgow wants the same thing. We want a greener, bluer planet um, in simple terms. Um, and all countries really, what we are looking for in Glasgow is for all countries to accelerate um, the way in which they build um, a greener planet, the way in which they grow their economy in a way that works and benefits everybody. Um, whether you're a developed economy or a developing economy alike. Um, we're looking for a transition that's fair, that's inclusive, um, and, and that, you know, builds green growth and high quality jobs. Um, so so that's, that's the kind of the scale of ambition. Um, I can talk, I'll talk a little bit about um, the specific elements in there that we're really looking to see commitments on. Um, so they are in four areas. Um, coal, cars, cash, and trees. Uh, and so let me go into those very, very briefly. So sure. on coal, we're looking for, for the global economy to really um, uh, simply stop, stop using coal. So we're looking for the developed world to give up coal by 2030 and for the developing world uh, to give that up by 2040. Uh, on cars, we're looking for... Um, uh, as we have in the UK, uh, for people to set a time limit on when they are going to ban the use of 
of fossil fuel internal combustion engines uh, and move uh, towards particularly towards electric vehicles. Um, on cash, we're looking for the richest nations uh, in the world um, who have produced most of the world's carbon uh, historically, right. uh, looking for them to, to really support the rest of the planet um, with funds. So we're looking for ambitious targets of funds for up to $100 billion uh, a year uh, going towards that. And then on, on trees, well, trees is, is more than trees, uh, uh, but uh, for, for, for the planet really by 2030 to be planting more trees because we know that nature-based solutions are really the key uh, uh, to, to, to kind of carbon emissions. Uh, so using our natural defenses, you know, stopping the, the, the massacre, frankly, of forests that's happening uh, globally. So that's 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 where we're we're setting the level of ambition uh, for for Glasgow. And and thank you, Tammy, for, um, you, Tammy, for addressing those individual areas. And um, perhaps we can uh, go back to those um, that have this individual focus in a little while. But I would like to pick up on a word that you used, and that was acceleration, and the mm -hmm. need for this to happen. And obviously, there have been uh, 25 previous sessions um, of the conference of the parties. And, and I'm sure at each one of them, there was um, the, the desire to make change, to cause change. But when I was listening to the opening statements, um, one particularly by um, Sir David Attenborough, um, who gave a very moving speech about the importance of what we need to do and the fact that it needs to be done in an accelerated fashion. Um, and then His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, who was also one of the speakers, um, and he said to act with all dispatch and decisively because time has quite literally run out. So the urgency here seems to be um, much more critical than it was probably 10 or 15 years ago. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about what does it mean for the UK to lead on such a global issue? Yeah, of course, and I think, um, yes, uh, uh, pinpointing those words of urgency and uh, acceleration is is absolutely key um, because what we really need here is for people to deliver on their legal mandates uh, and for us to get a negotiated outcome um, that, that delivers those uh, for individual uh, countries. But look, I think your question about the UK leading, um, so I think, I think the thing... Um, here is that the UK is leading by example, uh, which which makes it particularly pertinent, um, you know, yes. to, for us to hold the the presidency. Yes. Um, and I think by doing that, you know, we we've shown that it's possible. We've shown that it's possible to transition uh, your economy. Um, you know, just in 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 the last thirty years alone, the UK has reduced its carbon emissions. Um, by 44%, I think they're down by 44% as of today, while our economy has grown right. by 
So we've we've demonstrated that that, that this is possible. Um, right. And and I think you know since we've taken on the presidency, um, the amount of the global economy that's covered now by net zero commitments has has increased from thirty percent to eighty percent. So I think you know. For, for us to be to be holding the presidency is both to drive that ambition across the global economy, but also to show that it can be done. By exactly, exactly that. Right, and I think you're you're absolutely right. It, it makes a lot more sense to speak from the background of we have done it and it can be done than um, than to have a nation that hasn't done it speak in this as in future terms. It's much more believable. And I think it is a greater call to action if it comes from somebody or a government that basically says, we're not, we're not asking for the impossible because we have done it. And so just, just follow the lead here and we can all do it. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And while governments, of course, are um, extremely important in in starting that change and and having some kind of a um, of a leading role for its citizens, these clearly monumental changes and actions that are required to avert the consequences of climate change are with the governments. But is there a role for smaller communities and? and governments to play together. Absolutely. Um, there, there's no doubt in my mind that local solutions are really, and, and individual solutions are, are what is key. Because at, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is to mobilize every individual to change their behavior uh, right. on, on climate action. Right. So um, absolutely, yes. And I think and this is a key feature of, of, of the negotiations and certainly the build up to the negotiations in. I th and I think there are various ways in which in which you can approach that. So whether that's companies thinking about how they become carbon neutral themselves, um, and that can be anything from, you know, a small organization, how you uh, I don't know, um, uh, you know, uh, procure your products from sustainable carbon neutral suppliers up to you know big companies with big fleets who who go completely electric on their through their supply chains um there there, there is definitely there's something that everybody uh, can do on a very kind of local uh uh scale um you know there's something about about how you protect your your surroundings um, I think that's become increasingly important and people have become increasingly aware uh, of, of that. Um, and, and I think particularly thinking about um, the impact of local communities and, and particularly disadvantaged communities or indigenous communities, as, as you pointed out, um, thinking about how they are part of the solution, but also part of the, the conversation uh, and 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 you're you, you know you find solutions that that um, protect those who are who are most impacted by climate. That for me is something very much that is is a local uh, level um, solution. Um, you know, making sure that there is an inclusive dialogue and that everybody has a voice in 
in this. Um, and I think, and what, you know, one of the things I'll point, or a couple of things I'll point out. So um, we, we, as part of these negotiations, we started what was called the Race to Zero, uh, which was really an initiative that people could sign up to where they are both supported um, through their ambition to become uh, carbon neutral. And we have a range of everything from um, state governments to, to local businesses uh, to, to universities across, across the US who, who, who have signed up to that. Um, uh, but the other one, uh, the other initiative I'll, I'll point out, which shows what you can do at a local level, is something called the C40 initiative, which is which is really city to city. So there are 40 cities around the world who have all committed um, to moving their local economies to become carbon neutral and are working to support each other and and share their best practice um, as they all kind of try and try and achieve the same thing. Right. This is a perfect uh, segue, Tammy, to my next question on um, how will plans for climate action impact indigenous communities, which is of particular concern in Montana with our native tribes? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good question and something that we've been uh, very uh, kind of mindful of uh, uh, particularly here and then particularly in this part of of the US um, and where we've been doing actually hosting uh, dialogues around this um, bringing indigenous communities into the conversation uh, to both understand the impact on their uh, that the climate is having on on them but also then to work with them because it's often the, the indigenous commu communities that have these very um, what we refer to as nature-based solutions that can right. um, can help um, more globally. So I think any mitigation strategies that prioritize uh, environmental justice are, are, are key to this um, and, and are a particular priority for us here. And it seems as though, as you said, that um, indigenous uh, communities around the world have long time ago um, foreseen what has happened and, and the situation that we are um, somewhat stuck in right now. And yeah. um, it seems as though many of these indigenous communities because of their connection to nature have already begun um, have already begun restoring perhaps even some of the some of the um, nature that has been harmed by doing things differently and by by being more aware and conscious about the environment, probably, if one can say that. So it seems as though there's a greater awareness um, in indigenous communities than there has been in non-indigenous communities. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think everything you said is, is absolutely right. And um, I think the big difference here, and, and maybe this also speaks to a broader agenda, actually, around um, kind of diversity uh, and using platforms to give underrepresented communities and voices uh, uh, yeah and, and voices a, a platform right. um, 
and I, I think this is a this is a key step change. We've done this in previous COPs. We're doing it now, but we're also on a very local level. I think. Um, I think we've all become much more aware that, um, as certainly as national governments, but I, I, also in other other environments, that we can use our our platform and our privilege to help raise those voices, raise awareness of what other people are doing, a how they are impacted, but b the solutions that they have. Um, and I think I think that is that has been key to to making sure that that they are part of the conversation and the indigenous communities are now part of the conversation. So yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you that they have both voice and visibility in a way that, that maybe wasn't there before. From your perspective, Tammy, how can those diversity um, values translate into real change? What have you seen or where do you see potential for this to happen? What we've done is we've been in the run up um, to these negotiations is spoken to states, spoken to lo local leaders, spoken to tribal leaders to ensure that diverse communities are there and their solutions are there and their issues are there. And that is anything from, you know, whether that's infrastructure planning or energy transition and the, the impact that 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 can potentially have, whether that's about jobs and growth and skills, you know, the way in which you, you go about doing those, those things can really have, make a real difference to the, you know, the success of the investments that companies and states, local government make. When you are creating solutions to particular problems, whether they are about um, how you invest in transport or how you transition an economy, having those um, communities, those indigenous communities as part of the conversation from the very beginning, not as an afterthought at the end, um, but from the beginning. So you are co-creating the solution right. uh, and they are very much a part of that, can, can make the difference between whether or not your initiative is successful. Right. Um, so it's not just something that you think of as an add-on, but that it is, um, you know, it, part of it the is process. crucial to, exactly, exactly. It is integral to the process that you go about uh, when you're when you're doing policy making or right. um, whether that's yeah in government or in business or, or or wherever else. Right, and and probably this is what what wasn't done in the past. Now that we're looking at where we could have fixed things, it seems as though um, perhaps those were some issues that prevented. Uh, perhaps an acceleration at a much earlier stage was because those members were more thought of as add-ons to an existing group than as an equal member. And as members that should have been involved in the solution finding process from the beginning on, I, I totally agree with you, probably that that was something that that we could have, if we could go back in time, probably something that that should be fixed and that might have accelerated um, the solution finding process. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think I think the other thing is we are, um, there, you know, there is no doubt that we focus on 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 countries and what countries can do. We focus on the, the, a very macro picture 
Right. And actually, one of the one of the things that I think is different now is that we're focused on uh, on what we call uh, uh, in the UN uh, kind of toolkit um, in our sustainable development goals. We call micro actions. Um, so we've become much more aware of the fact that that some of the micro actions, the smaller solutions, the local solutions can really have uh, the biggest impact. But I've seen across this region uh, of the Pacific Northwest already the impact uh, that climate is 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 having on, you know, if it. So, for example, I was in, I was in um, oh, it's gone completely out of my head. Uh, I was in Yosemite last week. Um, and, you know, just seeing the impact of both wildfires and then, you know, flash flood, floods and landslides and the impact that that has on nature. It, it is right here on people's on people's doorsteps in this right. part of the world. So I think um, it's really worth investing our time and resources into preserving uh, nature and to find ways of creating jobs that work with nature. And of course, in Montana, um, you know, that that that's I'm sure very much kind of top of mind when you think about Glacier National Park and, and Yellowstone, for example, and and thinking about you know, even thinking about when travel resumes, uh, kind of more particularly international travel and finding ways to to make sure that that, that tourism to those places is done in a in a, in a more sustainable uh, way. Absolutely, yeah, you're right. I mean, there especially in this region in Montana. And with Glacier Park in our neighborhood, um, there, you know, there have been studies done over the last 30 years with photographs taken of glaciers and how they have diminished over time. And the sad prediction that Glacier Park uh, in, in the very near future um, will actually have no glaciers anymore and um, will be a mountainous region, um, but no glaciers. So that the name even wouldn't fit anymore or would be a reminder of, um, of opportunities lost uh, because, because it doesn't fit anymore. And, and just when you think about this, for generations, Glacier Park was Glacier Park and there were glaciers to look at and how that can change and so rapidly change, um, or or the wildfires that we have battled in Montana um, and that have gotten increasingly worse over the years, similar to what you've seen in California and in other places. Um, I mean, there are there are warning signals all over the place that um, that really I think are are sort of it's it's a few minutes before um you know we need to do something we don't have the luxury of time and of taking it easy and looking at things in sort of a longer planning stage but but something needs to be done right away um now when we were talking about um engaging with the indigenous populations, not, not only in Montana, but around the world on what we can learn and, um, and, and, and what they have done already uh, to fight climate change in their own communities. 
Is cultural engagement important for policy? Absolutely. Um, so I talked a little bit at the beginning about how um, we are here also for our kind of people to people and cultural links. Right. And I think um, we're great believers in the fact that um, those people to people and cultural links can really help with the with the policy issues. Um, and actually, one of the things that I, I, I didn't mention earlier uh, which I, I absolutely should, uh, particularly when we were talking about marginalised communities, of course, is the, the impact on youth. Um, I, I think that's another thing that, um, you know, it's, it's, that's been a very much, um, a particularly on climate, about people-to-people -people solutions and young people coming together um, because, A, the impact on the next, on our future generations is going to be, um, you know, it's going to hit them hardest, but also they are, they are really the key to providing, finding the new solutions and making choices now at a young age about about how we um, how we kind of protect protect our future. So so um, as as part of just talking about um, culture, there's a there's a youth culture part uh, to, to the climate agenda, uh, which which was I think very really important to mention here. But on on kind of the importance of cultural exchange. Uh, more broadly you know again on climate so actually this week we are hosting uh, here in san francisco um an event to uh to bring together really kind of leaders in in the climate world um and you know we have a we have a choice about how we do those things as government um and what we are doing is we are hosting a climate music event so we are bringing the arts and culture to this program as a slightly different way of engaging uh, people on something that is 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 hugely important and top of the kind of UK US agenda, but instead we are using um, you know the medium of music to do that as a, right. as a slightly different way of engaging and and actually when I was talking about engaging youth, we did uh, something a couple of weeks ago where we brought a young, a, a, a kind of group of young people from a local school in to play a board game. Um, and it was a kind of a simulation of what might happen to the world should you make certain choices. So, right. uh, um, and so it was a, a different way using arts and culture to engage people in, A, in the issue, but B, into kind of, uh, in, into the future solutions of an issue. So it's, I, I would say it's hugely important. Um, and, you know, we've done this uh, across climate, but we do on other issues as well. So, um, right. you know, whether it's, whether it's screening a premiere of the new Bond movie um, to kind of talk about uh, links in the film industry more, more broadly and to promote that, that, that economy, whether it's so, for example, we recently um, uh, did something around a British produced film uh, called Everybody's Every, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, but we, but it's a film about a young boy um, dealing with his sexuality uh, while he grows up in the UK, but we use that as a way to talk about issues in the LGBT plus community. Um, so, so there's just a few examples of, of how important it is to, to centre arts and culture into some of our policy solutions. 
And, and as a program in arts Missoula, Tammy, I couldn't agree more with you um, on the importance of this because that really is uh, what we believe as well is that um, we can we can use uh, the connection between arts and 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 cultures, and and really engage people. Uh, uh, you know, and I think one of the one of the best things about using arts and culture is it's the. You know, you can you can be trying to find the solution to a really big thorny problem. But, but bringing people together around arts and culture makes you realize how much you kind of have shared interests, shared values, uh, and, and it really kind of fosters that and helps to break down um, right. so, some, some, of the, some of the different viewpoints that you might be coming at something from. So it's hugely important. And I, I don't know, um, maybe you agree, but I sometimes, um... When I think back, um, I'm in my mid fifties now, and I'm thinking back uh, when I was 20 or 30, I, I wanted to be engaged through a certain language. And I know when you get older, you don't necessarily speak that language anymore. And so I think having a message that is created by uh, people that are not uh, belonging to the youth group themselves um, can make this more difficult. So making sure that one actually speaks the same language and, and through art and culture, I think uh, through artists, through music, like you said, that transition, that connection can be made um, I think is so important to actually reach the audience that you're intending to reach. Yeah, and, and I think it's particularly pertinent when you are a foreign government in another country. Sure. Um, you know, even between the UK and the US where we speak the shared language of English. Sure. There is still so much that's different, uh, different culturally. And, and, and it's those kind of arts and cultural programs that allow us to come come closer together and get a shared understanding of our of our different cultures and that's you know that becomes even more like increasingly more important when when you've got um you know diff different first languages as well um so you know el elsewhere in the world but even in the us too right yeah it's interesting to you're absolutely right it's interesting how um how the approach has changed and and how we can, um, by adjusting, by adjusting to that change, how can we be more engaging and more effective? Ultimately, I totally agree. Um, what is something you think more Americans should know about the UK? Wow, um, that's a very big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think so. Look, I I I've been here for for less than a year. Um, right. I will be here for another uh, two to three years. So actually, for me, it's helpful to think about um, it in terms of in my time here. Right. Uh, what would I like to kind of uh, I guess see change or or different 
and I think there's there's if I think about it like that um so I think you know one of the key messages is I think you know for Americans more broadly to understand how much we as the UK value our relationship with the US um and um, particularly the relationship that we have with states. So I think sometimes um, people can kind of find it very, very strange sometimes that, that governments will have, um, you know, like us, will have consulates uh, across across the US and not just an embassy in, in Washington. Right. Um, and I, so I think for me, it's it's also about um, this this kind of understanding that we we value our relationship with individual states uh, and and we understand just how much how unique those individual states are, which is why we have these different consulates to try and understand that and to tap into these different languages uh, to to use our kind of previous conversation um, to work out where we can uh, best work together. Um, I think that also for me personally, um, I am passionate about diversity and inclusion, and I am I'm particularly passionate about um, spreading the message that the UK is a diverse, multicultural uh, country. Um, I am a product of that, I'm a very proud product of that. Um, and so for me, I think it's, it's also about um, people uh, in the US, um, uh, learning more, understanding more about the UK, uh, and and yeah, and how diverse it is, and how that can is not just an end in itself, but uh, how how that can um, you know support businesses, increase our economies, foster these greater cultural links. So you know, for example, I took part in. You know, one of the biggest um, Diwali celebrations that happens uh, in, in in the US recently. And I come from a city, the city in the UK that hosts the biggest celebration in the whole of the UK. So, you know, um, sharing that, but also not just sharing it for the sake of sharing it, which is good in, in and of itself. But then but then, you know, using that to foster these links and shared language uh, that right. we, we've talked about. So that, I think, is, is a really, really important to me personally. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. It ties in um, perfectly to the last question that I have um, for today. And that is the fact that cultural education and global connections are so important. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the Marshall Scholarship? Yeah, of course. Um, so the Marshall Scholarship is a, a program that we're particularly proud of um, as part of the UK-US relationship. Uh, so it provides a fully funded scholarship uh, for US undergraduates, for graduate study in the UK. Um, it covers uh, study in any subject area at any UK university. Um, and what we're really looking for there is the kind of the best, the brightest, the most innovative um, to kind of put their, put their best foot forward uh, uh, and to apply for these scholarships when they're thinking about graduate study. Um, 
and we are doing a fair amount of work to get this message out uh, across Montana in particular and actually um, just uh, over the last couple of weeks um, I've been looking for applications and we'll be interviewing for next year for next year's graduates um, and we had we've actually had more applications from Montana than ever uh, this year yeah it's fantastic and actually and more than ever we've had students looking at uh, studying climate and the environment um, so you know all of our messages about youth uh, being part of those solutions and fostering that through cultural education um, is absolutely ringing true for our Marshall Scholarship so we would love to see uh, more applicants from Montana in the future. Um. Is there a website or how, how would uh, somebody that listened to this podcast and just learned about um, the Marshall Scholarship, uh, how could they find out more information? Is there information on your website? How would they go about it? Uh, so there's a dedicated website and it is marshallscholarships.org. Um, we can certainly also send you that information uh, to so that you're able to link through from, from your website. We're absolutely happy to do that. I would love that. Well, um, Tammy, thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, 50 minutes later, it's always like that. You start, you start the conversation and, and while I'm always a little concerned if I have enough questions and, you know, how things are going before I know it, it's, it's usually, uh, 50 or 55 minutes later, and, and it brings me to the end of the podcast. I so enjoyed uh, talking to you and um, learning more about uh, the climate conference and, and also uh, the UK's leadership role in it, which I think, as we said, is so important for so many reasons. Um, but also your thoughts on how not only the government is important, but also how smaller communities uh, and underrepresented communities uh, can can and should play a part in uh, in fighting climate change and uh, making sure that the next generations uh, have a planet that they can enjoy the same way we have. My November International Voices podcast guest was British Deputy Consul General of the British Consulate in San Francisco, Miss Tammy Sandu. Thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Dankeschön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and the Trail 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and the trail 1033.com. If your interests are in global and intercultural education, programming, cultural and global competence and international affairs, we hope you join us in December for the last episode of 2021.